Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Creative Imbalance Podcast. Like always, I am your host, Sean Siriani, and like always, we got a special episode for you. And I'm not going to lie, I don't know if you can tell from my voice, I am sick as fuck. I'm pretending I'm not. <laughs> I'm going to power through this intro, but uh, bear with me. My guest today is an awesome movie director. His name is Jeremy Lalonde. He's got an amazing movie coming out titled The Go-Getters. It is one of the funniest movies I have seen all year. And to sum it up, it's pretty much a romantic comedy between a deadbeat alcoholic and a drug-addicted hooker. (laughs) It is fantastic. It is written so well. Laughed my fucking ass off. And I mentioned I'm feeling under the weather. I want to thank Jeremy for recording this with me. He was also sick. I know you guys listening at home, you're used to me having a beer with my guest or a whiskey or something. This episode is super laid back. We're drinking giant cups of tea and we power through this one. And he had every reason to cancel and he didn't. And I'm glad I got to sit down and talk with him. Uh, I really enjoy this movie and I'm excited to share it with you guys. The actress Tommy... She ended up being sick, couldn't make it in. Disappointed, really wanted to meet her, loved the performance so, so much. But it seems like there's something going around Toronto. And I'm getting worse and worse as the days go on. Missing a lot of work. And was hoping to get this episode out to you a couple days ago, but that didn't happen. One thing I want to mention that's cool about this movie, and a lot of things that are going on with my show... Some guests of mine from different realms seem to be connecting in weird cosmic ways... For people who, who've been listening to the show, they know I'm a videographer. I've been doing a lot of stuff in the battle rap scene in Toronto. And this movie, The Go-Getters, mostly takes place at this bar called The Boat in Kensington Market. And that is where my friends from Beast Mode Battles reside. They have their monthly event there. When I saw the movie, I got excited. And yeah, I just want to give a shout out to all the Beast Mode guys. Definitely going to be sending this movie your way as well, because beyond the location, you grimy bastards will appreciate the humor in this movie. Also, coincidentally, at the boat this weekend, the Beast Mode Battle Rap crew, they're having their Christmas bash at that very place, beyond the party. (coughs) Shit, (coughs) my throat. Beyond the party, they're also doing a clothing and... um, toy drive i know some of you watch these battle raps on youtube see these guys think they're so mean well this shows to you they're not all bad people (laughs) they have hearts (laughs) they're helping the community and keep in mind how big their hearts really are next time you're watching one of them get destroyed in the ring keeping a straight face i think that function might be a private event but if you're looking to donate any clothes or toys feel free to hit me up And I'll pass it down the line. Around talking about the movie, we talk about Jeremy's life, uh, getting into film, pursuing it, ups and downs, smiles and frowns, all that's in between. And I think not only if you're aspiring to be a filmmaker, if you're going for anything, taking risks, challenging yourself, you can get a lot out of this interview. Love the talk. I felt like I could have talked to him even more, but I cut it a bit as my voice was starting to go. And before we get into this interview, like always, I got to tell you guys who are listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, that each and every one of these episodes 
has its own homepage at www.girthradio.com. You'll get to see pictures of Jeremy in the studio, links to the trailer of Go-Getters, a lot of his other work. He's got a podcast as well. You can check that out. And yeah, so I always entice you to come check our page for some further content and fun shit like that. But I think that's all I got to say for now. We're going to get into this. Jeremy Lalonde, the Go-Getters, coming at you right now. Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio. Many times over the years to be a tea drinker, because I like the idea of it. Mm-hmm. I like the variety of teas that exist. Like you walk into a David's and it's like, holy shit, this is magic. This yeah, is and you're smelling all the different ones. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. But then I try, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I just don't, so many things. But yeah. when I have a cold, it's the best thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. Well, cheers. Thanks for coming in. Um... Even today, like uh, I'm gonna mention on the mic, we're both drinking tea. That's kind of out of so character good. for me. <laughs> I'm so happy. Right now. <laughs> we both have colds. We didn't bail. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate that, man. No problem. And uh, yeah, so last night I finally watched The Go Getters. Nice. And I fucking laughed my ass off. Like it was genuinely like one of the funniest things I've seen all year. Oh yeah. And um, I want to say like um, they've been sending me a lot of like stuff under Raven Banner. And what I noticed is, like, so cool. It's, like, in our social climate, they're kind of grabbing all these projects and films that might not be able to, I don't know, fly with, like, a lot of, like, the mainstream. But they're still, like, taking these projects and just throwing them out there for us to see, which is amazing. And especially, like, with this script, like, Go-Getters, it's just, like, nothing's, like, toned down. It's, like... Yeah. I think... I mean, what's amazing about Raven's Banner in general is, uh, so their Raven's Banner is, is our distributor. Uh, they have an arm called uh, Northern Banner, which is technically where our film is being released through. Cool, cool. Because they've been around for, I want to say, 20, if not more years. And they're the, one of the few distributors in Canada that kind of really gets it. Yeah. In a way. I mean, there's a lot of big ones. There's like Elevation. There's, I mean, there's a lot of great distributors in Canada. But what's unique about them is that while everyone else is just trying to make trying to go after like the biggest possible audiences competing against all of like the American films and the big films, they kind of realize like, you know what? It's like, that's kind of a recipe for disaster in a lot of ways. And to try to compete with Goliath, you know, Mm -hmm. every now and then David beats Goliath. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but uh, you know, on an odds basis, if you actually just go out and say, Hey, let's, let's put out films that are a bit more niche that are for a specific audience because mm-hmm. it's really easy. I mean, there's only so many marketing dollars in Canada for sh- you know for sure. Yeah, yeah. And so to be able to say no, we're gonna make instead of making a film for like eight out of ten people, let's make films for three to four out of ten people. Mm-hmm. And the other six might not like them, won't be for them, but those three or four are gonna love the hell out of them. Yeah, yeah. Especially yeah. like if I found like Go Getters was like so like comedically written well, like in a way where like I felt like. Once the for 
once I saw the the two main characters arguing for the first time, I thought I could like watch this for like an like the whole hour and a half or whatever. But they end up going on an adventure. But just the, that dynamic of just like it's yeah. like so vulgar and it's almost like childish, like back and forth, like ping pong back. Yeah, it's tough. That. It's tough. That was one thing we were a little worried about, and we're glad that we haven't actually had that as a criticism of the movie, mm-hmm. because it is just them basically yelling at each other for eighty <laughs> it's minutes. Fucking wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but it, but it works because we we try to sprinkle it with enough little action here and there. Yeah, yeah. But it's also charming and funny, and they're just. I mean, it's. The, I uh, this is the first film that I directed that I didn't write, uh, but I felt like. When I got the script, it felt like I had this idea, and I went to sleep, and some naughty elves wrote it for me. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I was like, "Yes, I know exactly what to do with this movie." And we, and we, I played with the writers a little bit, but it was so much already there. Um, and, and and a lot of it was this that was just that. It's like it, it sounds strange to say about a movie like The Go Getters, but what I was really one of the things that really drew me to it was just like how high the level of dialogue was in terms of like. There was a poeticness to the vulgarity. Yeah, yeah. You know, that you don't see. It's not just like F you and F that and yada, yada. You know, it's, it's just a lot of just like the cleverness to some of it was really, really unique and something I had. It had a voice that mm-hmm. I hadn't seen before in film that I was really excited to be able to play with him. Yeah, and it must have been uh, cool. Like, uh, you, it's probably you really thought about um, the casting chemistry between those two characters as well. Like, did you. Uh, have like a big casting call and seeing who's clicks with who or was it no, did you I have mean, people in mind? Or? Aaron Aaron wrote it, so Aaron wrote Owen for himself. Oh, okay. So um he and his writing partner Brandon Gall wrote wrote the movie and Aaron had always written it for himself to uh to play Owen. And 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 Brandon is also an actor and originally Brandon had written it for him to play Kevin, the brother. But then uh, around the same time that we were starting to gear up, um Martin Garrow's show Blindspot got picked up in the States, and so Brandon went off to write on that, so we lost Brandon. Mm. But uh, we're so happy to get Christian Brune to come in and play that part. And then in terms of, so Aaron was always going to play Owen, and then it was a matter of just trying to figure out the right balance. And we had a couple different people in mind and, and played with a couple different people, and schedules changed at different points, so we did, we did have different people in that role at, at different periods. But then when we finally ramped up for production and had our date set, uh, I'd worked with Tommy Amber Peary a number of times, and I know just how ridiculously talented she is. Yeah. And she hadn't quite done something like this, but I think that's fair of most actors. <laughs> like, it's not like you can be like, oh, yeah, they can nail Lacey because of this, this, and this on their resume. It's a pretty <laughs> unique part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, but from having hung out with Tommy as a friend, I was able, to, I knew that I'm like, she'll be able to tap into this, this, this. And yeah, you kind of know her moments. real, like, sense of humor here and there. But and also, that. just Tommy's like a firecracker and kind of the wild card. Which yeah. is what Lacey is too. Like you're never quite sure what Tommy's gonna do sometimes, mm-hmm. which is a really exciting thing, and that's kind of what you want for Lacey. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was great because I think it drove Aaron nuts a little bit, but in a, in a good way, in a good creative way that really just kind of like rose his ire that he was able to use for Owen, where it's just like you know because he's got had this movie in his head for forever and knows exactly how he wants certain things to land, and so you get Tommy kind of coming in and just throwing everything left, right, and center just throwing him off his game constantly, but in such a great way. Yeah, yeah. And I think that just really inspired inspired him and shook a lot of things loose in him. Cool, and cool. And just made for a really exciting dynamic between the two of them once, once we kind of worked out the little kinks of it. Yeah, yeah. It felt, like, so natural watching it. It's, like, almost like when you see, like, a real, like, 
people like arguing on the street and it makes you turn your head and like oh i wonder where this is going well that's just it i i ride my bike through uh through Sherburne and Dundas in Toronto quite a bit. Yeah, I can yeah. tell you, I've seen Owen and Lacey fight on a regular basis. <laughs> and uh, and this yeah, is yeah. a much cuter version of those fights. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, one thing I noticed, too, you filmed it at the boat. Yes! I love that fucking place. It, there's, uh, I don't know, my heart goes out to that. Uh, around like doing this podcasting, a lot of listeners know that uh, I do videography stuff. And I film for this battle rap league called Beast Mode. They do a monthly thing at the boat, and it's just like so. I noticed like right at, at the beginning of the movie, uh, they were outside of yeah. it, and I'm like, "Is that the boat?" And then they cut to the scene in the bar. I'm like, "It's the boat!" I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like beyond it being a great movie too, like another part of my heart going into it was like that. Boat. So many memories in there too, and it's yeah, it was such a good. So the boat's a a a bar in Kensington Market that's really only open on Fridays and Saturdays for concert venues, right? Um, I'm not sure. I've only been there on Saturdays. So yeah, yeah, so that's yeah. it. And that's what was... I mean, we were looking for a place because about, you know, half the movie, give or take, takes place inside the bar yeah. uh, or in and around the bar. And so we needed a great place that we could own for about a week. And, you know, we made this movie for next to nothing. And so that was a really tall order to find a bar that could do that. And then also I wanted a bar that was... was you know, kind of divey looking, yeah, but yeah. also huge because so much of the movie takes place in the bar. I do. I wanted to be cinematically interesting throughout, and so it wasn't like we were just putting everyone in the same corner every time we went to the bar. Mm-hmm. It was really important to me have something that had some depth to it and whatnot. Yeah, lots of space to move around. Yeah, there. and so we were running around looking at a lot of places that a lot of bars that had like two floors and one that wasn't wasn't always open. They're like, well, you can shoot while we're close, while, while that part's closed, which is not ideal because you get the sound from the other part. Oh, uh, yeah. So, yeah. and then um, we came across the boat and it was like, um, I walked in there and my feet stuck to the floor. And like, <laughs> yes. Oh, <yeah>. Home. <laughs> I was like, this is it. This is it. And, then, and like that, and what was great about it is like so much of what's we, in the the production design for it, it was already there we you know that their cash register that that old fashioned cash register that's theirs yeah yeah you know? and all those old like red booths and everything yeah. and the only thing we um, i mean the main thing we we reorganized where the booths and all that kind of stuff are we kind of reorganized the layout of the chairs and whatnot but the the main thing we did was just took, we took down the TVs and the ATM machine because I just didn't want there to be it was I, I was kind of conscious of not having any modern technology in the movie yeah like, yeah we weren't trying to say that the movie takes place you know, in in a period setting, you know, we have a reference to Google Maps at one point. But what I wanted to do was just kind of like take technology out of it and make everything really analog. Yeah, yeah. And so not having, you know, texting, not having any phones, not having any, you know, TVs and that kind of stuff. I just oh, I never everything. I never thought of that as I was watching it. But yeah, there's none of that. It's yeah. Just, yeah. There's no cell phones. Well, they, could, they couldn't afford cell phones anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh that's kind of fun too in another dynamic about like their whole adventure too, just being like that low and just trying to like I don't know, it kinda of puts you in perspective of how like when you got nothing, five dollars is like everything. Yeah, it's like a million in those like the fights and situations they get into. It's that's fantastic. Just it. And it's like, you know, we live in this age where you know the the majority of the movies in the multiplex are superhero movies, and I love superhero movies. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not going to shoot on superhero movies. I can't wait for Infinity Endgame. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, uh, but that said, you know, what, what the other thing that was really refreshing to me about the script was just how, you know, how low the stakes were 
for like regular people. Yeah. Like they, you know, their goal in the movie is to raise $98. Yeah. Uh, so they can get on a bus. And for most people, it's like that, I can just give you that $98. You know, yeah. but for them, it's like trying to come up with a million. Yeah. Because like, they have no friends either. So they got to like. But any do. friends they have are not going to give them a penny. They, yeah. yeah. They, they owe them all money, you know? So it's just like, so the stakes being like what seemingly low for us, but, you know, insurmountable for them because every time they've got five bucks it ends up up their nose or down their throat yeah yeah. you know it's just it's impossible so that's what i loved about that that it's like you don't have to have you know world ending stakes to make you know something really dramatic and dynamic yeah yeah you know it's probably like why i connected with it too uh because i've had like situations in my life where i've had like nothing and even i thought of like this story where uh I was living in Niagara Falls with my family, and uh, my buddy would always call me like 4 a.m. The only thing open is casino buffet. <laughs> it's like 10 bucks. You can get a roast beef dinner. I'm like, man, I only have $5. He's uh, like, and I'm like, he's like, oh, I'll, I'll pay for you. I was like, no, no, we're going to go. We're going we're gonna to play one hand of blackjack. <laughs> so I had my $5. I put it down, and... Um, I get the one ship, and the dealer's looking at me like, "Really? Like, what the fuck?" There's all these so big, sad for you. all these big spenders. It was more just about like the experience, and me and him are just like all intense about like this card flip, and I forget exactly how it flipped, but it went in our favor, and we both just yell, "Yeah!" And people are just fucking looking at us. So I get a second chip, and I'm like, I'd like to cash out, please. And I'm I, done, I'm out. yeah, yeah, like, but you only, you only have $10. yeah, like, that's enough from a buffet. Yeah. It's I a little that. more charming version of the adventures of some of your characters. No, went but through. that's yeah. the exact same thing. And I love that because you've got other people at the table that you know are betting two hundred, three hundred bucks on the hand. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, I don't what what. And but there's that's the beauty of that, and that, I think that's such a beautiful story because. That's just it. It's like it doesn't matter. Like it, it's all uh, subjective to where you are in your life and who you are. And so I think people can relate to that. It's like everyone has things that are insurmountable mm-hmm. and and um, and that are just out of their reach. I think everyone, except for like someone like Bill Gates, I'm sure he's the one person who's just like, yeah, I got no problems. Yeah, I yeah. can't. Uh, but he also gives uh, tons of money back, so he's a great guy too. But there's very there's maybe like you know a small handful of the one percent that you know, don't have anything that's challenging them. And mm-hmm. so what I think what really resonated with the, the, the movie to me too and maybe want to make it was that it's a, it's a movie about people who just try. Yeah, you know? yeah. They're yeah. not the brightest. They're yeah. going to make bad choices, mm-hmm. but they're always going to try. They're never going to give up, you know? Mm-hmm. I always say that it's like it's the world belongs to the go-getters. Yeah. You know? And I think that it's just like as long as they're out there trying and hustling, like mm-hmm. that's that's all you can ask for. Yeah. Like, they don't sit there and mope. Like they, they, you know, life continually handed them a shitty hand, but they're going to play the hell out of it. Yeah, and maybe maybe they'll cheat a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? somebody gets punched or like. Yeah, 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 but they're gonna they're gonna try, man. They're gonna try as hard as they fucking can because mm-hmm. what else are they gonna do? They don't just sit around and mope. Yeah, which is what I love about those characters. Yeah, and as fucked up as the scenario is, it's it is a kind of a feel good movie. Like by the end of it, I was like just smiling, felt warm in my heart. That's and, it. Yeah, it's like some of the reviews were just like, "This is a movie about terrible, loathsome, despicable people, and you root for them the whole time." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, "Yeah, you get it." <laughs> yeah, another movie that made me feel that way is uh, Rob Zombie's uh, Devil's Rejects, because at the beginning, it's just like they're a bunch of serial killers. But then at the end, it's something happens where you're like, 
cheering for them and the cops are the bad guys <laughs> and it's like I feel like that movie, your movie did the same thing where it just kind of flips you and you're like almost on the adventure with these uh, low Yeah, like all the people that are, you know, some spoilers will come out now. Uh, like all the people that are kind of like they're up against are none of them are bad people. They're all doing the thing they're supposed to do. Like Ennis Esmer is the cab driver. Yeah, He's yeah. like, you owe me $9.75. Like you're going to pay me or I'm going to put you in jail. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and and at that moment, it's just like, oh man, let him go! Don't be a dick. It's like he's in the right. Yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's like, it's yeah. It's really cool how it's like written and how you guys paced this film out. And yeah, I kind of want to go back in time and uh, learn about how did, how did you get into filmmaking? Oh, I have no other skills. Um, <laughs> how did I get into filmmaking? Uh, it's kind of always been my thing. Was I it felt... like a spark when you were a kid that you wanted to make Yeah, I mean, or... I always like movies. I've always told stories. And so when I was really, really young, I had uh, this amazing, I want to say she's my grade four teacher. Shout out to Mrs. Gowden. Big uh, shout out, Mrs. Gowden. <laughs> and she would, I would write these stories and do shitty drawings to go along with them. And she would always get them laminated. Mm-hmm. And she didn't laminate all the other kids' stories, I'll tell you this. And I didn't think about it at the time, but later on, I'm like, Miss Gowden liked me. Yeah. <laughs> she, she liked what I had to offer in my yeah. stories. So she, I would always just, I would, you know, I would always just kind of write stories all the time. And, you know, and I'd play with other kids and I played sports and all that kind of stuff. I wasn't, you know... Uh, when uh, you know a kid that just locked himself in his room all the time. Not there's anything wrong with that. There's some you know amazing people that do that. Uh, but you know a lot of the times I, w- I was kind of a weird like extrovert slash introvert. So I, I'd be able to go out and play with the kids if the kids are around. But it's like if I could just if I was inspired to like write something, I would just want to be by myself. And so I would just grab a stack of paper and start writing and start drawing pictures. And and you know my parents bought me toys we weren't poor but my favorite thing to play with was i would do shitty drawings and then cut them out okay, and we had this really cool dining room table that had this intricate pattern on it and i would almost use it as like a set and like a building and i would have the characters move around and talk about them and they were my little paper people my parents oh, neat, them. Neat. and that was one of my favorite things to play with when i was a kid these little paper things i made yeah yeah so the imagination has always been there and- yeah so i was always writing and just making up stories and kind of acting them out to myself these little pieces of paper and then when I got into high school, uh, my high school, Keuka Secondary School, had an amazing drama program ran by Donna McEachern, who uh, was like a second mother to me and, and many children uh, and, and changed so many people's lives in, the, in that high school and saved probably a lot of lives too, wow. just because, you know, high school is a tough time for kids. Mm-hmm. And she was kind of like, her drama room was like in the basement of the school. And it was this like beacon of just safety. Yeah, for the all, sanctuary. All, for yeah, the, the dungeon of misfit toys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as it were, right? Oh, that's but, beautiful, though. Yeah. yeah, but it's like it was a great place for everyone just to kind of like you could go and hang out, and so and we have drama rehearsals at night, and there's so many of us, even though we lived in town, we weren't far from the high school. You know, we'd we'd hang out there after school before dra- until drama was on. We'd order Chinese food and just hang out. Oh, that's and so it, cool! It created this real great sense of community. Yeah, yeah. And so while I was there, I ended, I started writing plays. And uh, and I was acting in the plays too, and but uh, she w- she let me write a play for this drama festival. We ended up winning the regional competition, and so that really wet my appetite. And then I had another friend that was running this um, summer, like she had created this uh, small community theater group called the Canfield Characters that she'd been doing for a while, and then uh, I took it over when I was in like grade eleven or twelve. And so every summer I would write and direct a play uh, 
and amongst other things. And so I was just I had this ensemble of actors I was working with, and I'd write for people and this and that. And it was and that was just cool. that was how I spent my summers. Yeah, yeah. I was doing like just small town theater just writing stuff just for community and we would just do i think we did like a week of performances and that was it but we'd work all summer yeah just to do that and that's wicked that's probably just like made you just develop your craft like so strong like at like, such a young age because some people like they go through high school and they don't have like the drama sanctuary type of thing no they can go exactly to or... yeah i was so fortunate to have have yeah. that background and then i got lucky there was this great competition um in the area where i grew up at the uh Port Dover's Lighthouse Festival Theater called the Young Playwrights Competition, and you could write a play and submit it, and I won three years in a row. Oh, wow. And it was this amazing experience where they throw you into a workshop with professional actors, and they get it, they read your script out loud, and you, and they ask questions, and you, and then you go home that night, and you rewrite, and you work, and you work, and the next day you rehearse with them again, and this is like a week-long process, and then at the end of the week, they perform, perform in front of an audience. Wow. Uh, And that was just... You know, that was the first time because every time I, I wrote stuff for my friends in high school, they don't ask questions. They're yeah, just yeah. like, they're oh, like I'm okay, I'll do it. Yeah, I'm supposed to stand there. They don't. It's like I don't understand why my character's doing this. Yeah. And so it was the thing that really made me stand and go, "Oh shit! I I have to be accountable for characters' actions. I can't just make them do stuff like they're puppets." And so it made me really like. They're like, "Why would like where do these two characters meet?" <laughs> uh, and I'm like, "I've never thought of that." And they're like, "It doesn't have to be in the script, but that's something you should know." Oh, and I was wow, like, yeah. oh, yeah, I should know that. And so that kind of just that experience really, really made me kind of refine my own just, you know, development process and, and just taking characters that much deeper uh, at, at that age in high school where I think a lot of people that were writing didn't have that experience. And so I was very fortunate to be surrounded by professional actors at a young age on a yearly basis. I got to do this workshop with a new script yeah. and just go through the ringer and just that. I love that process of like working with them all day and taking a ton of notes and then getting home and just like writing till 4 a.m. and then getting up and going to high school for the day and then driving an hour to Port Dover and then doing another four hour, five hour rehearsal with them <laughs> and then going back and doing it all. And that, like that was those, those three weeks were like some of the best weeks of my life. Yeah, yeah. Point. It must be exhausting but exciting at the same so time because you're doing it. Yeah. But it's, but it's not unsimilar to, you know, film production and television production. You know, it's, it's, um, you think that it's like, by the time you get to the point where you're on set and shooting, that it's like the script is locked and everything's in place. And that's sometimes true. That's often true. You try to be get it that far. Yeah. But sometimes you're coming along and it's like, oh, shit, this scene isn't – we never quite fixed this. Or this location doesn't quite do what we need it to do. We need to modify this. Mm. And the film – I just shot a film up north. Uh, last spring that we just finished this week it'll be starting to hit festivals next year called James versus his future self and I wrote that with uh, an actor named Jonas Chernick who did a movie called uh, My Awkward Sexual Adventure and Borealis uh, and so that movie is like him Daniel Stern uh, and some other and Cleopatra Coleman Francis Conroy we got a great cast for this movie cool cool Tommy Amber Peary is also in that oh, and nice so what was really great about that too was was another like Daniel Stern is such a smart, amazing actor, and gives him. And he's a writer and a director in his own right, and and gave and throughout the process, he got cast early on and was giving us amazing script notes all the way throughout. But even we get there, and 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 he was always very respectful of coming in like days before we were shooting something. Like, hey, I was looking at the scene again. What do you think? Or, do we think we need this and this and that? And so he'd be great about. And then I'd go home that night, and Jonas and I would 
would putz around and, and play around with it a bit. You know, he was the worst is when actors show up like as you're shooting, going, "Hey, I think these need some changes." Because it's like, "Well, when the fuck am I supposed to?" Do these <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that happens. Give me some notice, but oh yeah, yeah. Really, yeah. But the good smart actors, the ones that know that their notes are good, mm-hmm. uh, come at come at you in advance. The ones that are insecure and that want to kind of like put you on the spot, do the do the last minute thing. Oh, okay. So well, almost like as a strategy in a well, way. Well, I don't know if it's a strategy. It's just sometimes it's just something that they do because I think they feel like if you don't do it right then anytime and it's I just think this is I give this advice to people in general. Like anytime someone tries to pressure you into a choice, your response should be fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> because, I love that. I love that. But it's just it's like same as when everyone's like, you know, they like telemarketers come to your door and they're like, I got this offer for you, but it expires when I leave. And it's like, yeah. well then get the hell out they of my slam door. Slam the door on that. Yeah, it's like what do you like if anytime you're pressuring me into making a decision, what you're doing is not allowing me time to think, which means that your offer sucks in some way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's something about your offer that I will regret if I have ten minutes to think about yeah, it. Yeah, be more like Owen and Lacey, just fuck you <laughs> right away. Yeah, yeah, no, it's like sorry, you don't have to. Yeah. I don't have to make that decision right now. Yeah. And I find half the time it's funny, I I I was signing up for something I not signing up, I was looking at something online and it was one of those things where I was like I put it in my cart just to see. And then it said, Well, hey, if you buy it in the next fifteen minutes, you get this discount. And I was like, Fuck you. Yeah, yeah. And then the next morning pressure. Yeah, the next morning I get an email. It's like, Oh now, if you buy it now, we know you, hey, we thought we left on your cart. We thought maybe you forgot about it. Well, I should give it to you for this da- discount. This is yeah. you asshole. Like, like they're doing you a favor when you're really yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We noticed doing... you didn't buy it in that time frame, that very limited time frame we got you. So we're now we're going to give you an even better deal. Mm-hmm. I find that that's a, here, here's a little life hack for people. Yeah, yeah. If, uh, most websites do this that have like shopping carts on their websites. Amazon is one of the most notorious for it. If you leave, if you are looking at buying something, but you're not in a rush to get it, add it to your shopping cart and just leave it. Oh, okay. Leave it for a couple of days, a couple of weeks. If you're not in a rush, if it's something you need right away, get it. But the longer you leave it, the more offers they send you for it. Interesting. I didn't know that. The more they're <laughs> like, oh, now it's a little 5% off. It's a little bit less. Like they, Because they see what they want and they see that you're thinking about it and they just want to give you that little push. Okay, cool, cool. And yeah. also, they then they also, someone told me, I don't know if this is true, but someone told me that they actually, if it's in there for long enough, they'll just have it as part of the regular shipment, just moved to the closest shipment center to you. So you also get it like that. Oh, this is good timing too. Christmas in a couple of weeks. I'm going to try it out. Now. Yeah. <laughs> now you would have wanted to put these things in your, in your bin, but there's so many deals on Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, life hacks, <laughs> life hacks by Jeremy. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love, uh, also something you've mentioned that I wasn't thinking about, like when you're writing characters in a script to write beyond the script in like, kind of like, no, their lives and everything and there's a couple different schools of thought about that yeah, there's a yeah. lot of writers that were just, that will tell you that if it's not in the script what i don't need to know it mm-hmm. and i don't disagree with that but I, I think what i took away from that workshop process with those actors was that i don't need to know the specifics i don't need to know oh they met on thursday november 18th 1982 at a gym i don't need to know that yeah yeah but i should know that oh they met they i should know like under the kind of circumstances they met. Yeah. You know, I don't have to have like specific details if there's nothing referencing it, but I should have some kind of concept. Yeah. Especially like, yeah, if you have to make a change or something, it's like, oh, what would they do in this situation? Oh, well, they did this in the past or whatever. Yeah. Or just the context of their relationship is like, how do, how do relationships form? But it's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, so the different, I mean, some writers will just write, they'll, you know, and it's kind of, and you can consider busy work that they'll just write these giant biographies of their characters. Mm. And then other writers will tell you that's just such a waste of time. And I fall somewhere in the middle. Okay. Where it's like, some, and but I do, 
I don't disagree that it's just busy work and it's not like getting to the heart of uh, of what you're doing. I mean, I think I think that kind of stuff is really helpful for television. Yeah, because you know, in in television, you're inevitably going to be mining these characters repeatedly for hopefully years, and so having all that information in some kind of a document. It just makes it easier to go, oh, we could tell this story about when this happened to this person or we can bring this element of their lives back into the story. You know, so it really helps to have those kind of documents for TV characters and TV shows. But for film, it's like usually there's a pretty specific storyline. So unless it's part of the movie, it doesn't necessarily help you. So it's 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 it can be considered busy work unless it, it fits into, into the Oh, movie. yeah, yeah. I see, I see. Yeah. It's yeah. cool. And um, yeah, so you mentioned you did all these uh, workshops too. Uh, what was like the first step of you like being a film director? Mm. So I would make, you know, really crappy little short films with my buddies in high school. I had this one friend, uh, his name is Zach Melnick, and he and I kind of formed this little, and with another guy named Chris Nixon, like formed this little company cool. called Pixel Dust Studios at the time. And so we had made these little videos uh, just for fun, and we ended up making like a, kind of a half feature at one point called uh, the Orgasmic Quest, which <laughs> nice. was like a really bad Star Wars, um, a Star Wars uh, parody. It was right around the time that <laughs> Phantom Menace was coming out, right? So Star oh, Wars okay. is just ramping up again. Yeah, and I played a character called Han Solo. You can, you can, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get all the, the sexual of, in the yeah. You can get the degree of how sophisticated this thing was. <laughs> um, but part of it was just that Zach was and and Chris were like messing around with special effects and wanted to try to play with that kind of stuff. So it was really just for us to to muck around with. But then what happened <laughs> was our drama teacher loved us so much uh, and was so proud of us and of how hard we were working that she convinced the principal to let us play it for the entire school in an assembly. Oh, and it was this like 30-minute thing that was just full of nonstop sexual references. <laughs> it, was, it was not appropriate whatsoever. <laughs> Played like gangbusters. There was never another student film shown at, a, at an assembly <laughs> that I'm aware of. Yeah, so they didn't pre-screen it or anything. It's like, it's like no, they're working no! hard. Let's. No, uh, I don't think. I think the teacher. I think our drama teacher must have seen it. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, they the principal didn't pre-screen it. That's for sure. There's no way he pre-screened, it. and that's how we knew. We're like, there's no. He hasn't seen this yet. Because he came, he's like, oh, I'm really proud of you guys for working so hard on this movie. It's really great. I'm like, we haven't seen it. Yeah. There's no way we were showing this the whole school. <laughs> That's fantastic. This thing. That's a moment right there. And yeah. He's in front of everybody. And he's like, <laughs> it was great. Yeah. So, uh, so we, we messed around with that kind of stuff. And then Zach and I, uh, at the same time while we were doing these summer plays, we would, um, we took our gear that we kind of amassed. And we got these the Trillium grants, which are uh, these this great foundation called the Ontario Trillium Foundation that gives out grants to a lot of things. Uh, and then, and one thing that we realized we can get money for was doing documentaries on local history. And so, for a couple summers, Zach and I went around and and did a documentary on you know the history of Haldeman County and then Norfolk County and then. Elgin County and Oxford and uh, you know I'm from that area I'm from near Hamilton a little town called Cayuga and so we uh, we did that all throughout like the last years of high school and our first couple of years of, of, of college and university and and that gave us both like these great resumes and reels and all this you know stuff and Zach still makes them Zach is you know went on to make a whole bunch more after that and now he's uh, he's kind of show running with his his uh, partner and wife uh, Von Draper 
this great series on uh, on TVO called Striking Balance. Cool, cool. That's about like the geospheres and all that kind of stuff. So oh, I think wow. can, I think I think they're working on the second season right now. Yeah, it's yeah. This gorgeous, enormously scoped project. Yeah, talking I love biospheres. Yeah. Did I say geospheres? It's about biospheres in Canada. I love hearing this and then also hearing your beginnings, <laughs> which is always awesome. Isn't that yeah, crazy? Yeah. yeah, we started off making a, a pornographic Star Wars film, and now Zach is off making gorgeous, beautiful, important documentaries. <laughs> I and love I'm it. Still in the gutter. Nah, so nah, Zach, you're making Zach sick cleaned himself up, and so, so the goal for me was always to, uh, you know, was always I always wanted to be a filmmaker. I was in in my high school years. I did flirt with the ideas. I was really loving writing plays, and I loved the like, dialogue. And so I, I kind of had a moment where I'm like, oh, maybe I'll go into the, maybe I'll focus more on theater than film. And uh, and then I think I just from a strategic point of view in terms of lifestyle, I was like, I bet you I could maybe make a little bit more money not in theater. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not, that I, people, not that people don't make yeah. a living in theater, but uh, I, th- I think also for me, I was just like, I liked movies that more than I liked plays in terms of just an audience member. And so mm-hmm. I think in the long run, I realized that that community and those people were people I'd probably want to be around a little bit more than theater people. Yeah, cool, not that there's cool. anything wrong with theater people. No. Love me my theater people. So, uh, so yeah, that, that just got the ball rolling. And then I went to film school. I went to Niagara College. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I did that for a three-year program. And then, uh, and then, then I got to Toronto. And then I, I started, I got work. Luckily, because of this, uh, this documentary series Zach and I made, I was able to get work as an editor right away uh, without ever having to be an assistant. Cool. And so I was doing that while still making short films. And, um, and then just eventually found enough. I found this amazing guy named Anthony Granny who helped me produce my first feature film, The Untitled Work of Paul Chappard. And Zach shot it. Zach came in with the DP for it. So it was great. Yeah, I had, that's like, my, cool. I had my people. Your homies. <laughs> so so it was great. And then and then the ball just kind of rolled from there. And that movie, you know, we had trouble with our distributor and whatnot. It took a while to come out, but now it's available. You can get it on iTunes and Amazon, I think, and all those kind of things. So that one, that's a movie that kind of was a blip, and I think a lot of people still don't know exists. So uh, so check it out. The Untitled Work of Paul Chappard. It's, cool, uh, cool. It's full of a lot of amazing people, and I, it's still near and dear to my heart. Wicked, yeah, and you mentioned it's on Amazon, like to yeah, it's, it's definitely on iTunes. You can okay. watch it on iTunes for sure, cool, and cool. if you just Google it, I'm sure you can find some kind of uh, legal way to buy it. I would prefer you do that. Yeah, yeah, but uh, you know, support, just, but also watch it. I would, yeah. I also just want you to watch it. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, and then it just kind of things snowballed. I got lucky. It's like I spent, so I kind of bounced back and forth between doing these indie projects on my own and and working as an editor, and then slowly. Uh, my everything kind of like shifted towards. I I work a lot with this company called Frantic Films, uh, on the TV side of things, and uh, and around the same time that Baroness von Sketch Show started to uh, come into development, they brought me in and, and originally re- was interested to see if I was interested in directing the first season, and I was like, of course. So I went in and met with them, and that didn't quite work out. But then they asked me if I'd. I'd be one of the lead editors on the first season. And I was like, of course, sure. So I did that for the first two seasons of the show. And then by the time the third season rolled around, I got the the chance to direct um, five episodes of the, of the season that's airing, or just finished airing right wow. now. Yeah, that's so, cool. Yeah, yeah. So, I've, so now, and that led to me directing some episodes of a new upcoming CBC show that'll air in the new year called Cavendish. So now I've kind of shifted away from the editing Um world a little bit so yeah, now i'm yeah. now i'm kind of just being a filmmaker full-time yeah. which is cool a dream and amazing yeah. i kind of pinch my, yeah, yeah. i know i pinch myself every day going oh i'm making a living doing what i wanted to do yeah that's kind of 
Amazing. I, mean, I always love hearing people's journeys too, because um, I know a lot of like aspiring content creators will listen to my show, and they might be a musician or whatever. They'll still listen to like the filmmaking, you but you can up, still, yeah, yeah, yeah. You still pick up, even if it's not the medium you're in, you still pick up little. I mean, and, and it's it's challenging because every journey is so different. Yeah, but it's like for me, it was just going. I knew that no one was ever going to knock on my door saying, "Hey, do you have a movie?" To be produced because yeah. I have a bag of money. I think some people think that's how it works. Oh, though, they do. They, yeah. some, some people, you know, I mentor a lot of young filmmakers too, and I get frustrated with some of them because they just expect everything to happen for them right away. Mm-hmm. And I have to remind them, I'm like, you know what? It wasn't until I made my fifth feature film that I actually got paid properly as a filmmaker. Yeah. You know, and that I wasn't, you know, going back and editing my movie at the night and editing a TV show during the day. Yeah. And it's just, that's how it goes. And it sucks. Yeah. And you're going to burn candles at both edges. And they're like, well, I don't want to live that way. And I'm like, well, then don't get into this job because it's, yeah, yeah. that's just the way it is. Like you don't, you know, I yeah. think we're, we, everyone thinks about all of those, those stories about like people that, you know, make one feature film and then it, it, it bursts out into the world and sets the world on fire. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, all of a sudden they're making Jurassic World yeah, as yeah. their next movie, you know? And that happens, and that does happen, but it happens, to, it's like, it's the equivalent to winning the lottery. Yes, exactly. You know, it yeah, doesn't yeah. happen to most filmmakers. Mm-hmm. It happens to one in a thousand, one in a million, you know? It, it's yeah. very rare, but it's like everyone looks at those stories and goes, well, that can be me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, sure, that could be you. But more often than not, it's not going to be. Yeah, and it's true. like you're going to have to take the experience you learned from and and pick up your bootstraps and try again. It's like my first film did not set the world on fire. I think it's a great film. I think it just didn't get any – you know, it was also coming out at a weird point in time where, uh, you know, DVD things were, weren't – people weren't buying DVDs. And so that market had dried up that we were hoping to make some revenue on. And uh, and it just didn't connect with festival programmers in a way. And so – but I just went, okay, I'm going to make another one. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you, else, you keep on else? chipping away, and yeah, yeah. Where a lot of people yeah. just well, I worked so hard, and that one didn't work, and it's like, well, yeah, yeah. So it, make it do it again. Like, yeah, try. And for some people, that would be the final straw. <laughs> like some, they jump into it, and they're like, "Whoa, I didn't think it was going to be like this." Like yeah. almost the the war that comes with trying to make your creative like life into. A job type yeah. of thing. It's but, but what I walked away... I mean, some people also just try to make a film and make a really bad film. Yeah, and then, that's and then Maybe too. that's not for them. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not what they should be doing with their mm-hmm. with their life. Uh, but what, I was lucky when my first one came out, like enough people liked it and loved it. And yeah, it was nominated yeah. for some awards at some smaller festivals and had a little, a little, very little cult following amongst certain uh, fans of the actors and the cast. And so I knew that I had done something good. I knew that I'm like, I have some talent that people like my voice. And it's like, I know it's worth trying again and doing something that's probably a little bit more, you know, sensationalistic. And so that was my second film was Sex After Kids. And I just had my first... No, I just had my second child. And so I was like, I, I knew that world. And I'm like, that's interesting <laughs> yeah, to me. That's I would cool. watch a movie with that title, you know. And so I just kind of took that approach going. It's like, if you know, if you're going to try to break through in the indie world, I'm like, you got to have something that people are excited about. And, mm-hmm. and can kind of create a little buzz on its own. Yeah, and maybe even if your first one doesn't, like, catch, like, you could always use, like, what you've done in that one, like, as lessons to make the next one hundred percent. And that's what yeah. I say to a lot of young... some people get stifled and they're just like, fuck. Like, well, and there's we a lot of young filmmakers, too. They made a couple of shorts and they're like, well, they want to have their, their first film. They wanted to have a million-dollar budget. I'm like, that's great. That's yeah. rare. I'm like, I didn't... Again, my fifth film was the first film. I had a budget that was over 300000 mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, that's... It's great if you can get it, but also... 
what makes you think you deserve that? Like, what have you done that makes you deserve that level of budget? Yeah, you know, yeah. Just because you exist, because you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it's like you've got to, and, and and you and also, but also my mentality behind that was also it's like, yeah, you could you could potentially struggle and and push along for years trying to get that million dollar budget, but in that time you could have made two indie features. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that a million dollar budget is an yeah, indie feature, yeah. but you could have made two micro budget features. Yeah, and tr- and worked on your craft. Yeah, definitely. And and you know. And I think that's just what I think, you know, it's I, I, I'm going to at risk of sounding like an old man. I think there's a lot of people that just don't want to put in that 10,000 hours. That, yeah. That we yeah. Talk about, you know, that, mm-hmm. that, that amount of work mm-hmm. that, you know, I, I had I had this conversation with a young filmmaker, too, where they're like they were going on about because I they were they're upset about how their distributor handled their film and whatnot. And, and, and they're like, I don't know if I, I have it in me to do it again. And I was like, look, is it you put and they have done a ton of short films and they've produced other features, too. This is the first time directing. And I said, "Look, you put ten thousand hours into into being a filmmaker and doing that." I said, "I don't disagree with that. You have not put ten thousand hours into learning how to market films and release films, mm. and that's yeah, a totally that's a, different thing. Yeah, different side of your brain working. Yeah, and so yeah. now you've got to work on that. And it's like, and so if you want to give up before you really refine that, I'm like, you can. I mean, trust me, there's no one that will not take your place in line. It's like you will be happily shoved aside." And then they'll start looking at somebody else to fund, yeah, yeah, or to pay attention to. It's like, you know, the world. Like, there's so much content in this world. No one is, you know, there's very few filmmakers that the world is just demanding to see their next movie. You are very right. You're you very know, right. You got to do something that makes you stand out or whatever. And yeah, like and if it. your heart isn't in it, don't do it. Mm-hmm. It's it's even. I mean, even the people that do it well and get paid very very well, they'll tell you it's it's a not a easy job. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's 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 you know. You don't have regular hours. Your brain's kind of always on it. You know, it, 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 it's it's challenging to have real relationships when you're in this kind of world because you're just, you know, no matter how great your partners are, and I have an amazing wife who is re- as supportive as she could possibly be, there's only so much she can she can understand what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I do my best to try to, like, understand that her point of view too, right? But yeah, it's still yeah. challenging, and that's just stuff that a lot of people can't, can't function that way either and, and deal with regular relationships inside yeah, this world. I've been, it's yeah. not like a average schedule, like a nine to five. It's no. like things are going to pop up where you're doing like an 18 hour day or something like yeah, just, but yeah. life has to, life has to go on too. You have to find a way to balance work and life. And that's been yeah. my journey, you know, of really just trying to figure out how, how do I make, how do I do have both? Cause I love my family. I love having that life and I love having some kind of, um, regular schedule for them. Yeah, and uh, but they're great. Like I, I, I can't complain at all about them. They're fantastic, and they and they put up with me, which is no small task. Yeah, it's beautiful. Well, they probably see like what's so special about you, and that's like this is this is your life, and you make fucking awesome shit. And, oh, like, I think I think it doesn't hurt that. Yeah. Uh, I've had some success with it, so it's it's yeah. easy enough for my wife to support that because she's like, "Oh, what you're doing, people are going out and seeing it. They're mm-hmm. they're embracing, it, they're yeah. enjoying it. It's like that's good. It's like if I think if I was still like out there making like a ten thousand dollar feature now, she'd be like, I think you, yeah, you know, you might maybe not be good at this. Yeah, I love you, but maybe mm-hmm. maybe do something else. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like there's. There's uh, something with the people who can power through all like the ups and downs and everything, and it's like goes back to your movie. You got to be a go getter. You really too. do. Yeah. I mean, you have to be a Canadian. Be a Canadian filmmaker. You have to be a go getter. You have yeah. to just be able to work. No, you have to be a little bit insane. You just have to love it. You have to have so much passion for it because that's all that's going to get you through. Yeah. You know, and surround yourself with good people. 
Yeah, you know, that's I'm very really important. I have this amazing producing partner that that does most of my stuff uh, named Jordan Walker, and he's like my brother. You know, we uh, there isn't a project that comes across my deck desk that doesn't either come from him or if it's like as soon as I have an idea I throw it to him I was like what do you think of this mm-hmm. and he gets excited about it or he doesn't he usually gets excited about it usually if I'm excited about something he gets excited about yeah something. yeah um and so it's just I think it's important to have people that can have your back and can you know pick up the slack in areas that you can't do because that's just that I'm not really a, a producer in this sense I have produced you know I've raised money for my films through crowdfunding and, and that kind of stuff and so I've done some of that work. I don't particularly enjoy it. Mm-hmm. You know, I like the I like the kind of creative producing, and I always make sure I'm always an executive producer on my projects, and I, I like that kind of stuff and putting people together. And I'm starting to uh, executive produce some young filmmakers' first films, just to kind of like mentor. Nice, them. nice, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I like that part of it. Yeah, and uh, and I have enough little tidbits of advice that I can pass along to people about funding and this and yeah. whatnot. Something about you, I can tell you, could be like a really good teacher to very. I've taught a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I'm, I think in the new year, I'm going to offer some kind of directing boot camp. Nice. That I've been meaning people. People have been asking me for a while, and so I'm starting to put together some some proper notes for it so i think that's something i might do in the new year i have some time i have some time this winter so i think it might be something it's just i i, I mean i think it's important to give back i think it's important to share what you've learned and uh and it's just a fun it's a fun way to do it and i like i like the energy of people that are i don't want to say young because there are a lot of filmmakers that are you know my age that are just like giving it a go and starting it out and they mm-hmm. don't have any less passion yeah so i'll say emerging filmmakers nice nice well said well said yeah. with everything it's cool like i think uh, a lot of uh, aspiring <laughs> filmmakers or just anybody jumping into a project can get a lot out of what you said today and um yeah so i want to before we take off i want to plug the go-getters it's coming out on christmas right it is coming out on christmas. yes great? yeah you know what's funny <laughs> so we you know this this is also the challenge of indie film as, as i'm sure most of you can understand is that you know, there's really no good time to release an independent film because you're always up against something. Yeah. And so uh, our, our U.S. distributor's idea was to uh, – they weren't they weren't going to do a theatrical release, but they're like, well, we'll put some effort into our, our VOD release, and we mm-hmm. think the best day to do it is Christmas Day. Yeah. And we're like, why is that? And, they, and their answer was great, and I love it, and it makes 100% sense. Yeah. And the reason was is because that Christmas Day is a Tuesday this year. So okay, that's, yeah. that's when all the new VOD titles come up under new releases, right? All right, all right. So, you know, their our, their thought was that, you know, ours will be on the new release page. It'll be right up there, mm-hmm. easily to see when people are – Christmas morning has passed. They're sitting around being lazy. Yeah, you're chilling kind of, with your cousins. You're, you're or, chilling yeah. with your cousins. You're kind of maybe – sick now of all the Christmas spirit and cheer and you want something that's a little bit different it's like there won't be anything much more different than that oh yeah and like genuinely that movie is a good laugh I'm gonna blast it out on our Twitter and make sure Girth Radio does it as well out that morning because it's fun like I wouldn't say for the whole family. No, I wouldn't. Don't let the kids come around. Yeah, yeah. If you got like an uncle with like a dirty sense of humor, your cousins or whatever, and you want like a genuine like good laugh, a just totally uncensored movie that doesn't give a fuck, (laughs) watch The Go-Getters. I might even watch the screener you sent me again. (laughs) uh, I enjoyed it it so, so much. Yeah, so it'll be out pretty much on every platform you can can rent or or buy something on digitally. Yeah. 
and and if you can't find it, just tweet me at Lalon Jeremy, and I will point you in a direction. Awesome, awesome. And anything else you want to say before we take off? No, I mean, thanks for having me on. And I think it's you know this is really really great, and uh, it's it's really kind of uh, a great platform to be able to spread the word and, and talk about it. I think you've been asking some really fun questions. I've really enjoyed this. Ah, thank you. I'm glad you had a good time here. And even um, yeah, your next project, you're welcome to come back to. We'll plug whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, I enjoyed still, talking to you. It's, it's early days for that, but uh, we're we're just starting to do the festival submissions but everything everything else i've done in the past you can you can go to my website jeremylalon.com uh most of my stuff's on itunes oh no all my stuff's on itunes it's been released cool cool yeah and uh for people who are listening to this on itunes google play stitcher spotify just to let you know Every episode has its own homepage at www.girthradio.com. You're going to be able to see a picture of Jeremy in the studio. Yeah. And we're going to put up links to everything we talked about. Yeah. And Can I plug one more thing? Always, yes. Uh, so I have my own podcast, which okay. you're welcome to come on at some point. Awesome, uh, yeah, it's yeah. It's called Black Hole Films. And it's about, uh, I, I get people to watch a movie they've always wanted to watch but haven't gotten around to. I love this. And then we yeah. watch it together and then we talk about it. And that's also oh, yeah. on all the things. It's uh, wicked. Yeah. yeah, black hole films. Black hole cool. films. So wicked. We're, we're nearing yeah. up on like our our ninetieth or so episode, so it's fun. Oh, sick! We yeah. Have, if you if you need up. a guest, call me. Like I, I've always wanted to do something different. I'm more like the interview yeah, yeah, style, yeah. but I'd love to just kind of like review or like have the film reaction. So, do you like um, play the film as you're like recording? No. Or? So we do like a quick conversation before it's being like, do you, you know, ask why haven't you gotten around to it and why did you pick it? So, you know, usually it's like anywhere from five to 10 minutes and then we watch it all together. And, you know, so it's usually the rule. It, it, it changes. Sometimes it's just me and one other person. Sometimes it's me and like four other people. Cool. And, and cool. then the, the four other people, maybe all of them haven't seen it or just a couple of them haven't. As long as one person hasn't seen it. Sometimes I'm the person that hasn't seen it. Yeah, yeah. As long as one person in the group hasn't seen it, I consider it qualified. Nice, uh, nice. And then, yeah, then we watch it together. We don't record that. And then we <laughs> talk about it right after. That's that's a cool yeah, idea. Yeah, and it's kind of about the discovery. It's like kind of like watching the discovery of someone process a movie in real time. Yeah, for like the first time, yeah, too. it's great. Yeah, wicked, man. Yeah, cheers. Very nice to meet you, man. And Thanks, well, buddy. Yeah. That concludes our show. Thanks again to Jeremy for hanging out with me, shooting the shit, giving us the insight on the Go-Getters. Like we mentioned, Go-Getters coming out this Christmas. Watch the trailer at our homepage, www.girthradio.com. Creative and Balance, Episode 70. And like always, we're going to end the episode with a song. This is a new one from our friend, Toronto hip-hop legend, Fortunato. This one's featuring Kripal. It's on his latest album, available everywhere now. Loving the vibe of this one, and this track is called Magnificent. Girth Radio. Hey yo, just because you wish it doesn't mean you make it so You gotta strive to make a difference if you really wanna grow It's not about the people who ain't reaching to your show Pussy rappers act defeated, no one's weeping for your woes Weaklings try to link with me, I keep them in the cold No more pounds for these imposters trying to profit from my soul There'll never be another me, I'll always be alone Trying to duplicate my form before I confiscate the mold Now I'm dropping like atomic, catastrophically implode Cause I'm known to bring the omen when I'm open and I flow Start passing through these passages, laughing in this labyrinth Where many ain't gon' make it but that's just the law of averages I'm adamant, standing supreme
supporting these cold savages Rep the true north by force, fuck your advantages You panicking from all the havoc, yes I'm the catalyst Shots to your dome, I'm leaving your face cavernous Who's so magnificent, passion is what the difference is Passing through life cycles, we fighting while y'all just live with it Some who pray to Bibles, my idols are those that choose to spit The last of the true MCs, we still doing this We're so magnificent, passion is what the difference is Passing through life cycles, we fighting while y'all just live with it Some who pray to Bibles, my idols are those that choose to spit The last of the true MCs, we still doing this Yes, I smoke cannabis, I'm lit as it gets I'm always living in the moment, I don't live with regrets I can't believe I'm still living, still building with vets And young cats on the come up, always coming correct Real talk when these arms lock, squeezing your neck Like Cat Williams, we don't kill him, we just teach him respect What you dealing with, throw your hands up if you feeling this Ten years deep in the game, we still killing it Ain't made a million shit, but still we got the will to spit Raps from the heart, the passion, tell them apart Obviously they ain't built for this, survival in the wilderness Lions in the jungle, don't mumble, they'll get your ceiling split Crack a foundation, I'm found round the nation Touring with Doom Squad, been doing it too long We can never turn back, we've chosen our own path in life Feel the passion so we know that it's right, come on We so magnificent, passion is what the difference is Passing through life cycles, we fighting while y'all just live with it Some who pray to Bibles, my idols are those that choose to spit The last of the true MCs, we still doing this We so magnificent, passion is what the difference is Passing through life cycles, we fighting while y'all just live with it Some who pray to Bibles, my idols are those that choose to spit The last of the true MCs, we still doing this Watch me as I hold this crown I'm an outcast, the world loves it when I don't get down You can hate, but it gon' make me come back with an even stronger verse And you can say that I'm whack, but you so wrong, it hurts The kid has been a threat, you stickin' to the internet I heard you rap, this shit sound butt like finished cigarettes I cross country, linkin' with Fortunato I'm rappin' Edmonton and he rappin' it for Toronto And now I'm shooting for the stars How I even made it this far truly is bizarre I used to be the dude who's boozing till I'm puking in your car Now I'm that dude that's moving units using music in my bars Kinda funny, funny, you don't wanna put no work in, but you criticize I've been trying to find this money running like a dummy, I don't know how I'm energized Only one that kind of people around me that'll be around me if it ever dies Looking at me, you would never know what I've been through to give me a better life, it's cripple We so magnificent, passion is what the difference is Passing through life cycles, we fighting while y'all just live with it Some who pray to Bibles, my idols are those that choose to spit The last of the true MCs, we still doing this We so magnificent, passion is what the difference is Passing through life cycles, we fighting while y'all just live with it Some who pray to Bibles, my idols are those that choose to spit The last of the true MCs, we still doing this